0: Glad you guys can make it out. We didn't know what to expect today with the weather, so thankful that you guys can make it out and uh, safe travels here on the way home. And hopefully you'll be blessed uh, because you came this morning. A lot of good stuff to say this morning in Proverbs 30. So let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just uh, thankful to be here, and uh, for those that could make it out, and, uh, safe travels as they travel home. And those that couldn't make it this morning due to the weather, we just pray you'd bless them and their time at home with you. And uh, Lord, once again, thankful for this time. And just pray you would teach and we would all listen in your name. Amen. So Proverbs 30, a little bit of a change of pace here this morning. We only have two chapters left in the book of Proverbs. And what you see here in Proverbs 30 is the first noticeable thing is we have a different author this morning. Verse 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jaca, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and Opal. Now you may sit there and say, okay, I don't know a lot of those names, and that's okay. Those names never really caught on with uh, baby names there. But the point is, it's a different author. Different author. So it's it's a different flow today than what we've normally had. Now, this is what I love about the Bible is we truly do believe and teach that the Bible is God's holy word. And that when he led these people to write this book, that the Spirit is speaking through them. But the neat thing about this is you have individual personalities. And so this author here today, this is an individual that's different than Solomon that we have been uh, studying the last few weeks. So it's still God's word. It's still the Spirit teaching but yet it's going to have a different flow the different way he does it. You know, the example I like to use, if you give one chapter of the Bible to three, four different pastors, they're all three or four going to teach it a little bit different way. It's still the same spirit, but each one's going to teach it a little different way. And so this author here has a distinct way of how he writes and he communicates. And I love some of these passages in this chapter. So Proverbs 30, verse 2, Surely I am more stupid than any man. I do not have the understanding of a man. I, I kid you not, that's like a life verse for me. I can really relate to that passage. And the reason I like this guy is because he's straightforward and honest. He goes, I'm not real smart. But this is the neat part about it. He's a wise man. And part of the reason why he's wise is because he realizes he's not that smart. There's wisdom in realizing that sometimes you don't have all the answers. And one of the things that I run into a lot with Christians is when they are witnessing and evangelizing and talking to nonbelievers, they always feel bad that I don't know what to say. They ask questions that I don't have the answer to. You don't have all the answers. And you know what happens if you don't have the answers? I, very, I learned very early in my Christian walk, if I don't have the answer, I say, you know what? I don't know. Let me get back to you on that. Sometimes when I'm doing counseling with people to ask questions, i would be like, ah, that's a tough one. I don't know. That always used to bother me, is that somebody would come and ask for advice, and sometimes my answer is, boy, that's a tough one. I don't know. And I realize the most wise answer you can say at that point is, you know what? We need to seek the Lord and pray about this. Because why, verse 2, I am more stupid than any man. I do not have the understanding of a man. That is a wise statement to make, realizing you don't have all the answers. Verse 3, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has who ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name if you know? Now these are not questions of an atheist or an agnostic. There's no reason to believe that this man did not have a relationship with the Lord. What he's just saying is, as a typical human being, look at these tough questions that we're trying to answer in life. He goes, we don't have all the wisdom. We don't have all the answers. You know, just a few weeks ago in Proverbs 25, one of the key points of the lesson was how God is unsearchable, that you will never fully grasp and understand everything that God has to say. He, He is so infinite, and our mind is so finite. You know, He is God, we are not. And I don't know who the first one to say it was, but Greg Laurie was the first one I heard it that said, if God was so easy to understand, would he be worthy of our praise? He's God, we're not. A couple quick passages on this if you're taking notes. Romans eleven thirty-three, 33. Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Next one is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now think about that. God says, search me out, but realize I'm unsearchable. Isn't that what it is? Search me out, but realize you're never going to be able to figure me out. Now why would God do that to us? Because he likes it when we want to know more of him. He likes it when we have that real relationship with him. One of our little catchphrases that we throw around as Christians is what? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That idea of a relationship, that you know God intimately and he knows you. You have a relationship with him. You know, we're not religious. It's not a personal religious relationship with Christ. It's a personal relationship. Religion is out of it. You know the Lord. The Lord knows you. He is your Savior, and so therefore you search him out. You want a deeper understanding of him. You know, Dawn and I have been married almost 15 years, and it's one of those things where every day you learn a little bit more as you search out your spouse and you find things out. Same thing with the Lord. He says, you know what, I am God. Will never fully be able to grasp who I am. He goes, but part of your relationship with me is you choose to go deeper with me on a regular basis. Search him out. We have enough, what I call plateau, lukewarm, middle of the road Christians. We got plenty of those. What we're looking for is people that want to go deeper. People that really desire more things of the Lord. Because look at these questions. You know, who's ascended into heaven, descended? Who's gathered the wind, bound the waters, established the ends of the earth? Those are deep questions. And the answer is the Lord, but it's beyond us. If you like a little further study, I encourage you to go to the book of Job. Job's a tough book. And for about the first 30 chapters of the book of Job, there's a lot of whining and complaining and a lot of, we have all the answers, oh, nope, no, we don't, oh, I think this, oh, I don't know for sure. It's Job and his three friends, and they're constantly going back and forth on trying to figure out God. Finally, in Job 38, God shows up. And for the next two, three chapters, God just lays it down. He says, Job... Where were you? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Job, where were you when I did this? Job, where were you when I did this? And Job 41, Job comes back onto the scene and he basically says, I shouldn't have said anything because you're God and I'm not. See, this is the thing. This is not an atheistic viewpoint. This is not an agnostic viewpoint. This is a man who has an understanding of God, but he's smart enough to realize that he doesn't have all the answers. There is wisdom in realizing we don't know everything. There's wisdom in realizing as I search out the Lord, he is unsearchable. That's what the author of Proverbs 30 is trying to tell us. So when he says, surely I am more stupid than any man, he's not saying he's dumb. He's just saying, I'm smart enough to realize I don't have all the answers. Some things are beyond us. Jump ahead to verse 18. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four, which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. The way this man writes Proverbs 30, his personality is he makes lists. I don't know if you're a list person or not. I'm a list person. You know, If I go up to dawn and I have something to say, I usually just go up here and say, okay, i got three things. Number one, number two, number three. That's the way my mind works. So when I look at this guy, his mind works that way. There are four things that he can think of that are tough to figure out. First one, the way of an eagle in the air. For ever since the beginning of time, man has been obsessed with flight. It's just fascinating. Now, we understand the science of flight, the science of lift, and how a plane can have lift and take off. But do you really grasp how a multi ton piece of metal is flying? It's fascinating. The way of a serpent on a rock. We move. We move because we have arms and legs. Now, we know how a serpent moves. We're smart, right? The muscle contractions, it's still a fascinating thing when you stop and look at a snake move and you realize that thing is moving with no arms or no legs. The way of a man with a virgin. This is talking about love. How many of you try to play matchmaker, right? Because you can figure it out that who should be with who. There's something funky about love. When the people click and it works out and it comes together, it's almost an unsearchable thing. And this one right here I found fascinating. The way of a ship in the midst of the sea. I just want to share a couple of stats with you. The, the biggest ship that it was ever built, just throw some numbers out here, it was over 1,500 feet long. So it was longer than what the Empire State Building is tall, just to give that perspective. Longer what the Empire State Building is tall. Its rudder alone weighed 230 tons. Its propeller weighed 50 tons. Fully loaded, it had a displacement in tonnage of 657,000 plus tons. So big it couldn't go through the Panama Canal. It did what? It floated. It floated. And I heard a commentator say this. That ship floated, but what happens when you drop a penny in a cup of water? It sinks. How much does that penny weigh? I guarantee you it does not come any close to a displacement of 657,000 plus tons. Now, we understand the science of buoyancy and things like that, but when you really stop and you look at it, the ship floats, but the penny sinks. There are some things in this life that are just so amazing, and that's what the author of Proverbs 30 is saying is, Guys, certain things are unsearchable. You can sit there and scratch your head, but certain things are unsearchable. What's the next thing he takes us to? Verse 7, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You've heard us say out here before, middle class ain't all that bad. You know, when you have the wealth and the riches, it creates its own set of problems. And we talked about money a couple weeks ago. It came up in Proverbs. We said God's not against riches. He's against riches controlling you. He says if you've been blessed with a job that brings in money, then God says you are given more opportunity to spread the kingdom. But being in the middle here in Proverbs 7 through 9, there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? There's a lot of wisdom in that idea of being, once again, middle class, if you will. Great verse in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 13, verse 6. You don't need to turn there. It says, when they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. You ever realize sometimes when the going gets good, how God starts to take a back seat? I know in my life, when the going is tough, what do you do? You spend more time with God than you ever have before because those tough times draw you closer to him. I mean, obviously, we know the roads were horrible yesterday. I was coming home from church. It was about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. I never prayed so much in my life. Now, if it was 60 degrees on Sunday, I would have had the window down, my arm out the window. probably wouldn't have thought too much about the Lord. But when you're trying to get home... A lot of prayer goes up. People, when you have a child that is sick, a lot of prayers go up for that child, don't they? When you're going through a tough time at work, a lot of prayers go up. You spend a lot of time in the Word. You're searching for that comfort. It's amazing how, as it says in Hosea, when you're filled and everything's okay, it's really easy to let God start taking a back seat because things aren't that bad. What Proverbs is trying to teach us here is what? Yeah, things are clicking right now. You're in a season of life where things are going good. God says, enjoy that season. Realize there's going to be seasons of life where things aren't clicking. And that's when you need the Lord. And sometimes the Bible says that he allows that little thorn in your side to keep you focused on him. And as Paul, he says, pray, Lord, take the thorn. God says, if I take the thorn, you're going to begin to wander. If I leave the thorn in, keep you close to me because that's what I know needs to happen. I need you close to me. And so what you have here is this idea of being in the middle. And this is not meaning being lukewarm or being in the middle, like gray area. No. That idea of when it comes to just the things of the world, Lord, thank you. I'm not struggling. I don't have the richest, but you just meet my needs. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lord, just meet my needs. Boy, isn't God faithful to meet your needs? He, he, now, some of you may be saying, no, I'm in a situation right now. I'm not saying once. i saying needs. I like to share stories about this. One thing that Dawn and I have always done since we got married and beforehand is, you know, as soon as we get paid, 10% goes right to the Lord. It's just 10% goes to God and for his purposes. Well, God has always proven his faithfulness time and time again. I just want to share this story with you real quick. We had a situation a few weeks ago where our van was running into some problems. And so Dawn was out here at church for the mom's group, so I said, have Rich take a look at it, because I said, I don't know anything about vans. So Rich took a look at it, and he said, yep, you know, it looks like you have this wrong and that wrong. And so, you know, we contacted um, the place to get the van fixed, and the estimate came back to be, I, I can't remember the exact amount, it was like 700 some to, bucks to get the van fixed. Um, but that day, that day that we found out that the van had to be fixed, we get a letter in the mail from Walmart. Now, Dawn worked at Walmart from, like, 95 to 97. I worked at Walmart from, like, 95 to 99, so 12, 13 years ago. We get a ch- check in the mail from Walmart from a settlement of a lawsuit of back wages for 550 bucks. And so we get the estimate back from the van, and, and some of the money was taken off for some reason, and there was enough money that came through those Walmart checks to take care of paying for the van. Walmart was the best job I ever had. 12 years later, they're still paying me. I just, I should have stayed there. Um, the point is, God and his infinite wisdom had that already planned out. The van was breaking, needed to be fixed, and so the day that we find out it has to be fixed, the check in the mail arrives. Come on, that's just God's faithfulness. I I think of that verse of, feed me with the food allotted to me. There's enough to cover the van. It would have been nice if there had been enough to cover a trip to Hawaii, but there was enough to cover the van. And that is the food that is needed. He met our needs, and his faithfulness is there. He takes of us problem is we always want more look at verse 15 the leech has two daughters give and give isn't that the truth boy don't you know some people that just always need more i shouldn't say need always want more always want more give and give verse 15 there are three things that are never satisfied four never say enough The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. God says there's always, excuse me, the writer of Proverbs here is saying, there's always going to be things that want more. Wisdom is having the mindset of my needs are met. Thank you, Lord. There's always groups that want more. And he picks four things here. The first one, the grave. The grave is never going to be full. I'm not being crass when I say this, but as long as people are being born, people are going to die. That's the grave. We try to spend all of our life running from the concept of death where it's inevitable. I read a book one time that had this great quote. It said, life at the beginning and life at the end is messy, and in between we try to forget that. But the truth of the matter is there's the grave. That's an aspect of life. We will die. And the person is saying it's never full. The next one, the barren womb. If anybody knows anybody that has struggled with wanting to have a baby in pregnancy, you know that that heartache and that emptiness that is in that barren womb that just desires that. Next one, the earth that is not, not satisfied with water, that idea of drought. Oh, and we live in good old northwest Ohio. You know in the middle of July and August, there's going to be cracks out there about eight inches wide. The earth likes water. This idea of drought, never satisfied. And fire that never says enough. You hear about some of these fires out west where thousands upon thousands of acres are just burned up. Fire is an all-consuming thing. Never satisfied. The writer of Proverbs here is saying things are never satisfied. We always want more. And we have to have that godliness with contentment is great gain. Why do we always want more? Because we're sin nature. Look at verse 11. There's a generation that curses its father, does not bless its mother. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. You have to remember this book was written about 3,000 years ago. If you just look at these passages, you would think we're talking about the generation of today. There's a generation that curses its father, does not bless its mother. There's a generation that's pure in its own eyes and not washed from its filthiness. See, we always have this concept that it's so horrible. Sin nature has been around since the fall. Sin may be more prevalent today because it's more open and not hidden behind doors, but the truth of the matter is the same sins that are prevalent today have been around for thousands of years. And when this guy is writing this chapter... He's writing this 3,000 years ago. Can't you imagine him looking out of the window and saying, look at this generation. It's going downhill. But well, we say the same thing today. Why is this generation we have going downhill? Sin, same generation, generation ago. Sin, generation in the, you know, we have this ideal, idealized version of like the 1800s. Nope, sin nature there. That generation was going downhill. There's always going to be sin that is pulling us away where we should be. It tries to pull us out of order of what god 's plan was for our life. Look at verse seventeen: "The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother. The ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Boy is that not a verse on raising kids? Next time your kid disobeys, tell him that birds will peck your eyes out that 's a biblical concept. <laughs> I shared this story with the first service. I was doing some counseling one time with Rich, and it was like a, a family thing of a family, they don't come out here, but it was a family community we got hooked up with. And uh, this person was having some trouble with one of their kids. And so Rich um, as we were going on the conversation, we we're finding out this is a very troublesome young person that dealing with and doesn't have a lot of respect. And so Rich pulls out, he goes, You know what the old testament, you know what the old testament said to do with the troublesome kid? Rich said, You're supposed to stone him. <laughs> That's what Rich said. I don't know if he literally meant it um, or not. I don't know if that's godly advice. But the point is, it shows God's heart towards rebellion. It shows God's heart towards disrespect and disobedience. God does not like it when the home life is not in order. And the reason he doesn't like it, he says, because if the youth are not respectful of the parents, wow, that's a lot like us not being respectful of God the Father. And so God doesn't like it when the home life's not in order. Now, if your home life's not in order, this is not a condemning, convicting thing. This is where God says, let's work on it. It's grace. It's love. And I, and I encourage you, I really do encourage you, if you would like to get prayer for your family, you know, next Sunday, out here in Sunday evening, there's a group that gets together and prays uh, for families and, and issues that's going on. And if you've got some issues in your family, like, wow, I'd really like some support, some encouragement in your family, there's a body of Christ out here that cares. I can't stress that to you enough. God says, let's get the home life in order because what a blessing it will be when it comes together. What a blessing it will be. The problem is, a lot of us don't think we're really doing anything wrong. Verse 20, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. This idea of I'm not wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. God says that's a dangerous place to be. Going a little further study, 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1, the author there writes, How uh, if you say that you have not sinned, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Boy, don't you know somebody never do anything wrong? It's always the other person's fault. I wouldn't have said that if you wouldn't have said this. I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have done that. Never take accountability for their actions. God says that as a rebellious generation. And really what happens is he goes, that throws things out of whack. God is a God of order, the Bible says. He's not a God of disorder. He likes it when things flow the way they're supposed to. And so when things get out of whack troublesome. Look at verse 21. For three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. These are the things that when the earth is out of whack, verse 22, for a servant when he reigns. It's not that God is promoting hierarchy and royalty. He's saying is that servant doesn't have the wisdom and knowledge. It's somebody who shouldn't be in power that's in power. That's out of whack. The next one, a fool when he's filled with food. We've talked about numerous times here about a fool in the book of Proverbs. A fool is dangerous on his own, but when a fool has a fulfillment makes him more dangerous because then he doesn't have any worries and he can go out and cause more trouble. A hateful woman when she is married. and a lot of marriage counseling out here, and I tell you this, when the wife gets angry and gets upset, becomes bitter. That's a dangerous place to begin a marriage. It's out of whack. And a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. Once again, it's out of order. It's not the way God wants it there. Once again, not pushing hierarchy, but that, that maidservant doesn't have the knowledge and the wisdom to be ruling. God says when things are out of order, it creates problems. And he goes, and it goes back to once again, the generation, when the home life, when your spiritual life, whatever it is, is out of order. God says, what do you think is going to happen? Wisdom says, keep things in an orderly, godly fashion and things just flow better. Things just flow better and things work. That's just the way it is. With that being said now, you may be sitting here saying, great. I can check off failure after failure after failure. What an encouraging message. Verse 2, I'm more stupid than any man. come out on a snowy, cold day, and this is all I get. Well, the encouraging part's coming because this is the beauty of Proverbs. Yeah, we've talked about the rough stuff. Now he says, look at it from this point of view now. Look at this one. Verse 24, there are four things which are little on the earth. They are exceedingly wise. The answer are people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. And the spider skillfully grasps with his hands in his king's palaces. Now let's look at this for a second. It's kind of knocked us down a little bit. Now let's build ourselves up here a little bit. Romans 8:37. If you're taking notes, Romans 8:37. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. What examples do we have here about little on earth are wise. The ants, verse 25. One commentator I was reading and was preparing for this message, he goes, have you ever thought about the size of the brain of an ant? It can't be that much big. He goes, your brain's bigger than the ant. You've got to be smarter than the ant. And God says, if the ant can prepare for food, God gives them the ant enough wisdom to prepare for food. He goes, don't you think God's going to give you enough wisdom to handle situations of life? You're smarter than an ant, folks. God, if he takes care of the ant, will take care of you if you seek him in wisdom. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Next one, the rock badgers. This is kind of like a uh, uh, rabbit-type animal, and they lived over in the rocks. Well, the thing is, rabbits really aren't too threatening. Okay, Not too many people get scared of rabbits. So rabbits really don't have a lot of defenses. So what they have is, he's saying, is, God's given the rabbit enough wisdom to live in the rocks where they're going to be safe. You may not have a lot of wisdom in life, God's giving you enough wisdom to stay safe in Him. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Let's go one more verse on that. Zechariah 4.4 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You may be that feeble little animal living in the rocks, but God gives you enough power and strength and the spirit and wisdom to be able to have safety and trust in Him. Look at the next one here. The locusts have no king, yet they advance in ranks. Now, locusts to us really aren't a threat. But yet, when you talk about the plague of locusts that still affect the world... When these thousands upon thousands upon thousands of locusts get together, even though they don't have, quote-unquote, a leader, they can be destructive. They can be truly destructive. God says if they can move together in a rank without a leader, he goes, what can you do with your leader being Jesus Christ? Last one. The spider, in some of your translations may actually translate like a little lizard, lives in the palace of kings. You may not live in a palace... Spider gets to. God says, You may not live in a palace now. He goes, But I got a mansion waiting for you in heaven. See, this is the beauty of this. He says, Look at these things in the world that we look down upon the rabbit like things, the ants, the locusts, the spiders, yet all in their own level, they're exceedingly wise. And God says, If they're exceedingly wise, don't you think I'm going to give you wisdom too? Don't you think if I take care of them, I will take care of you? That's the wisdom that God gives. Which then takes us to the next part here. God gets the glory for this. Look at verse 29. There are three things which are majestic and pace. Yes, four which are stately and walk. A lion which is mighty among the beasts and does not turn away from any. A greyhound. A male goat also and a king whose troops are with him. That idea of majesty. See, this is what happens. We read verses 24 through 28 and we say, Wow, Lord, you're right. Ant has wisdom. I got more. Thank you, Lord, to you be the glory. Which then takes us to verses 29 through 31. Majesty. One of the worship songs this morning had that word majesty in it. Boy. Isn't that just God? I mean, what other being, what other thing in this earth really deter, deserves that term, majesty? That's the Lord. It's majestic. And so when you see that and you think that, you stop and you say, Lord, to you be the glory. I truly am, verse 2, more stupid than any man. But yet you give me wisdom, you give me guidance, you give me strength, all through the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and be a light and a witness for you. May God be the glory for that. Which then takes us to our last two points. What do we do with this information then? Well, it's humbling. Look at verse 32. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as the churning of milk produces butter, and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. See, these passages are are here to have us sit back and say, you know what? I've been a fool in exalting myself. I think I have wisdom. I don't have wisdom. I'm more stupid than any man. I think I have wisdom. Well, the ant has wisdom. It's all you, Lord. You're unsearchable. I wonder how many of us sitting here today struggle with that thought of, I work with the world's dumbest people. I'm the only source of intelligence in this whole building type thing. It's a pride that gets in there. We start thinking how nobody else can figure it out. I'm the only one that has the plan. Now, verse 32, if you're foolish and exalting yourself, very simply, put your hand on your mouth. That's wisdom. Just don't talk. Because what happens is, if you're that foolish, you think that you're that smart. That's a dangerous place to be. And verse 33 shows us that, because if you keep forcing wrath, you're going to have strife. I mean, isn't it just wisdom once again? If you wring your nose, it's gonna bleed. If you churn the milk, you're gonna get butter. That's the way if you stir the waters, what's gonna happen? How many people do we know force things in life? They force their opinions, they force their ideas, they force their wants and desires. What happens with that? It becomes strife. God says, humble yourself, back off, and in wisdom learn what to say, how to say it, when to say it. And where does that wisdom come from? Last point we're gonna say here, verse five. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. You want that wisdom? It comes from God's word. I, I stress to you, as a believer, the only way you're going to grow in wisdom in the Lord and in your walk with the Lord is by being in God's word. That, that's what's going to grow you. I encourage you, more than just Sunday morning, Find a time to spend in His Word. If you want devotionals, we got good devotionals. If you want a study plan, we can come up with a study plan for you. Not because we have wisdom, but because we'll just keep pointing you back to the Bible. It's God's Word that is pure. In this world of where everything falls and fails, that word pure actually means tested. God's Word has been tested. It is true. It is real. It's what the Lord uses to speak to us. God could have chose many different mediums to speak to us. He chose this, the Bible. And so with that being said, if God said, this is how I want to give you wisdom, I encourage you to get in it and you'll grow. And as you grow, guess what happens? Verse 5, a shield. You're protected. let not stop back and think on your life. Generally speaking, the times that you got yourself in trouble, was it not because you made a dumb decision? And if you made that dumb decision, can't you now, looking back, probably find a scripture or a passage in the Bible that probably told you you shouldn't have done that? See, that's his wisdom. God says, when you seek my word and you live your life according to my word, I will be a shield because I will protect you, not because it's some supernatural thing. It's because you will have wisdom to not make bad choices. You will keep your mouth shut when you used to open it. You will stay away from scenarios and situations that you used to jump in, and you'll stay away from now because wisdom says don't go in there. It's amazing how on God's word, wisdom comes out of this, and there is a shield, there is a trust, there is a protection because God says, I watch out for you because wisdom guides and directs you. What's the purpose of Proverbs? We've been talking about this now for week after week after week is wisdom. Get wisdom before you need it because you are going to face decisions, be it today, be it tomorrow, be it whatever, and you're going to say, Lord, give me wisdom. By studying God's word, God gives you that wisdom and guidance before the situation pops up so when it does pop up, you know how to handle yourself in life because the Lord said this is the right path to go down. It keeps you away from these snares, these snares of, of the finances, these snares of the pride, these snares of, of saying things you shouldn't say because wisdom says no. Verse 2. I am more stupid than any man, but I'm smart enough to realize I don't have all the answers. Lord, it's you. Give me the wisdom and guidance. All right, if come forward here for the final song.